You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Two guests this week. First up, Sports Illustrated writer Jimmy Trana. He's also the host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Boy, that's a familiar sounding title. Jimmy Trana, of course, writes the um, Trana Thoughts column as well at Sports Illustrated. And we get into a number of things in this one on um, State of NFL Broadcasting, the Monday Night Football booth, and... Uh, AEW versus WWE. Peyton Manning is a broadcaster. It's a lot of sports media talk, so hopefully you'll enjoy that. He is followed by Jane McManus, the director of the Marist Center for Sports Communication. She also writes uh, as a columnist for Deadspin and was a longtime ESPN staffer as well. Jane and I taught together at the Graduate School of Journalism at uh, Columbia, and we get into the coverage of college football during the pandemic how the young people in her program look at sports journalism and uh, naturally what she thinks of the ESPN layoffs and um, and many, uh, many journalists leaving that place over the last uh, three to five years. So Jimmy Trainer first, followed by Jane McManus, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Jimmy Trainer writes the Hot Clicks column for Sports uh, Illustrated, uh, SI.com what? technically. When Hot Clicks? What is it called? It's called Train of Thoughts. Oh, Train of Thoughts, I'm sorry. I haven't written Hot Clicks since 2013. I know. At the top of the podcast, it'll be correct. Jimmy Trainer writes the Train of Thoughts column for SI.com, and he is the host of the SI Media podcast. I've not heard of that, Jimmy, so if that's a new podcast, I'd like to talk about that. And sure. he is uh, he's a longtime Sports Illustrated staffer as well as a former Fox Sports staffer. And he joins me on the Sports Media Podcast. Jimmy, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I want to talk about I want let me talk let me give some promotion to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast, which Oh God. You know, if we drop if, if we drop if we drop the comedy here, I think people know obviously that that, you know, uh, before I left Sports Illustrated, I started that. Um, and you have taken it over and, and have and have done a f- fantastic job. Of changing, not changing, I should say, but morphing it into your interests. So the podcast has gone from what I would say was very much straight sports media for the most part right. to your interests. Wrestling, we saw The Undertaker on there, it's a big get. Uh, John Cena did a very memorable uh, interview with you. You do a lot of yep. New York City media stuff, uh, you know, the Mike Francesa, Chris Russo kind of thing. And then you still do your traditional sort of sports media uh, right. discussions. So let, let me ask you this. How have you, how have you found the sort of the shift in content that you've done? Like, has that is, is, has, have, did you do that for personal reasons? Cause you want to, cause you just need to talk about that. Or do you think that was a good sort of strategy to get more, uh, more downloads, et cetera? Okay. A few things here. I want to address everything you said. I just want to be clear when you say that, you know, I took over the SI Media podcast that you created and did a, and did a great job creating. It was only because not, you not just left. but not just a lot of people created that. I was part of that. Let's let's be well, clear here. Beth, Beth Marston, uh, Ben Eagle should get some credit on that. 
as well. But I'm just saying you left Sports Illustrated. And Dan and Dan Bloom to- and Dan Bloom. I feel like Dan Bloom should get some credit too, if you remember that guy. I don't even know who that is. So Okay, go ahead. You started it, you created it. Right. Turned it into Correct. something that a lot of people listen to. You left for the athletic and SI came right. to me and asked, asked me to take it over. I don't want there to, the people to think like I was angling to take it over from you. Feels like a little bit of Steve Young, Joe Montana-ish kind of feel to it. But okay, I'm going to trust That's you on fine. this. Right? Uh, number two, about the wrestling. Have, didn't, you, didn't you have wrestling people on the podcast as well? That's not Paul really Heyman. Like Paul Heyman, for sure. Renee Young. Thompson. Conrad Thompson. Never Conrad Thompson. That's true. Although I, would, I feel like Conrad Thompson... Uh, who, for listeners who don't know who he is, he's um, he has five very, very successful uh, wrestling podcasts that are nostalgia. So he has uh, Jim Ross and Arn Anderson and Eric Bischoff, uh, Tony Giovanni, people um, people talking about previous wrestling. But I, I feel like, Jimmy, that Conrad is as much, don't you think he's as much sort of a media story as he is a wrestling story? Yeah, I mean the the Undertaker, sure. the Undertaker, Roman Reigns. By the way, yeah. I'm not criticizing you for this. I, no, no, I know. These are I amazing get. These are great gets, but that but that's very straight wrestling. Yeah. Um, well, I will say this: what I used to try to do pre-pandemic and COVID and taping the podcast from home is if I did have a wrestling guest, I would also try to have a media guest. I wouldn't try right. to just have a solo wrestling guest, but. Given COVID, taking, taping from home, a lot of restrictions, it's harder to do the double guest thing. So that's really, um, I mean, if you look back pre-COVID, I rarely would just have a straight-up wrestling guest. There'd always be someone else on. Um, so, and then to answer your question, I mean, listen, I think anybody who does a podcast, whether they're starting on their own, taking over from someone, and this was the case, I mean, your, your likes and interests are going to come to the forefront. I mean, I'm not you know, as into maybe interviewing, you know, the eighth ranked sports center anchor like you are, um, I would actually like to do way more, way more celebrities, entertainers. um, So do it, do it. Who's stopping you? Well, there's, there's, you know, listen, the people who, the most of the people who listen to that podcast are listening for sports media stuff, but like, for instance, like, if you noticed, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, like, Matthew McConaughey was literally on every podcast in America for about two weeks. I don't know if you were pitched him or not. I, 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 um, no, I was not pitched him. Right. But like, he probably did 50 sports podcasts in a two-week span. Like, I don't want guys like that who, who are doing the rounds, but it would also, if I did get pitched him, I don't know if the SI higher ups would like be like, okay, so you're doing the SI media podcast and your only guest is Matthew McConaughey. It's like, maybe that's a bad example because he's a big name, but he has nothing to do with sports, nothing to do with media. I would like to do people like that and have them on, but I think you still have to mix in, you know, that you have to like maybe double guest it and have someone from media on. So. So here's something like, this is interesting to me. And by the yeah. way, it's going to be interesting, like six people, but whatever. So, mm-hmm. Like, I actually find it interesting that you are actually even getting direction or management, like telling you uh, who they like or who they don't like. I, I, when I did the, the last year of the SI Media podcast, when I was doing it, Jimmy, I, honestly, I don't think I remember any editor or any manager even saying anything to me, good, bad, or indifferent. It just no, it became its sort of own self 
like sort of self-silo. So if actually people right. no, no, in office way. are paying attention it's, to you, that's great news. No, no, it is still that way. And no one, no one has ever said really anything to me about my guests. And I've never, I mean, I would, I, I, you know, I, I pretty much do what I want. I, I don't get any feedback like that at all or, or criticisms. But I know in order for SI to sort of promote the podcast, it helps more if there's sort of a sports yes. angle to it on social media, et cetera. So that's what's in my head more than, listen, if I had a podcast with an actor and there was no sports or media involved, no one at SI would say one word to me. But it's hard then for me to go to the SI social people and be like, please tweet this 50 times when there's nothing about sports or media in the podcast. Right. I will say, uh, though, you know, it is um, the one thing, at least in my experience that I found is, uh, you know, 2020 um, has been, a, you know, I don't know if it's a challenging year for the Joe Rogans of the world and the Barstools and the, you know, the, the Simmonses, et cetera. But in, I think right. in our little world, it is, you know, because we or at least I, I should only speak from my experience. You know, you do. You know, I find that I've lost a lot of people because of um, the lack of uh, commuting. You know, I think right. I, I, I think my guess is and it's just it's more of a guess than 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 analytics. I probably have more people than not listening in bigger cities, cities that have commuting like New York or Chicago, Philly, L.A. Right. And I think, uh, you know, that's where covid um, has absolutely, I think, impacted this podcast. I wonder if it's I wonder if that's a thing about all niche podcasts, if the the commuting angle really hurts like a niche podcast as opposed to one of these gigantic mega podcasts that have, you know, whatever millions Absolutely. of listeners anyway. So if you, so if you hammered, your, if you hammered your hundred thousand, you're still going to get pretty good numbers. Listen, no commuting way, way, way less people in gyms where I know a lot of people would listen, you know, work oh, yeah. out and think about um, that. It's good. You know, people at home with, ki- with, you know, kids doing virtual school from home, Parents need to be on top of their kids doing the schoolwork. Not not easy to put headphones on, listen to a podcast. There's a and I I don't maybe this is just me. I feel like a bunch of new podcasts started up during the pandemic. You know, Joe Buck started one, and uh, you know NBC was doing one with like Tariko, I think during like it seemed like you know because you were limited in what you can do as a sports company for content. More people started podcasts, and there's just the competition is insane. There are so many out there. I don't know how you break through right now um, without you know some massive media company behind you to push everything. But I find there's just you know if you are on Twitter all day like we are, I mean every five minutes it's like here's my podcast, here's my podcast, here's my podcast. Here's my podcast. Right. I don't you know it's uh, if I was just you know. A regular consumer, I'd be overwhelmed by it all. I mean, I, I don't know how you pick what you listen to. All right, one more podcast-related thing, and then we'll get to some NFL stuff. Mm-hmm. How often are you hearing from uh, sports media companies? And that's a very that's sort of capital S, capital M. So ESPN and Fox and NBC Sports would be all of, uh, you know all on that. In addition to you know whatever you know FUBU or you know the Athletic or whatever. Right. Um, are you hearing from a lot of those places and are they pitching you for their talent to be on your show or are you generally booking on your own? Meaning you're the, you're the person who reaches out and tries to get somebody. I mean, I, I mainly book on my own, but I get pitched as well from companies, um, you know, regularly. So it's, 
it's just, I try to, you know, I want to be a little timely about things. Like I had Steve Kornacki on last week because he's doing the NBC pregame. So that was me reaching right. out something in a timely fashion, but I'll get someone from ESPN or Fox will reach out uh, and say, you know, we've got the, whatever the big 10 tournament. Do you want to have the, you know, person on and, you know, we go from there. Um, and even non, you know, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I had, you know, talk about people starting podcasts during a pandemic and not doing sports. Steve Sharipa and Michael Imperioli from the Sopranos started the Sopranos podcast during the pandemic. I had them on the SI media podcast. And, and then like a few weeks later, I got pitched Imperioli again for like some TV show or movie he was doing. I actually turned it down because I had a, like, I never would have thought I would turn down a cast member from the Sopranos, but he was on like four weeks beforehand. So, you know, it's, as you know, uh, you know, booking the podcast is a puzzle. So you yes, put it together basically any way you can. All right. Let's, let's, I mean, starting in September, you know, let me give you some of Jimmy's big names here. Dan Patrick in September, Al Michaels in September, uh, Ernie Johnson in October, Kirk Herbstreet in October, Paul Heyman in November, Jim Nance in November. The un- Wow, look at that. Paul Heyman, Jim Nance, and The Undertaker back to back to back. That's, I mean, who knows how it did, but that's that's good booking. Chris Long, who I know you have a good relationship with. I like that guy. I think he's uh, yeah. he, he if seems I to can, be a good if uh, I can, if I can podcast guest. And then Tariko Kornacki. Yeah. And Chris Russo. Yeah, and Chris today. Russo. If I, yeah, I mean, I can, I don't I don't make me sort of overhype that one. You know, I'm, I'm if I can plug that. something, but, but, if I can plug something quickly, the Undertaker podcast was the first one that we put on YouTube. We started to put the podcast on YouTube now. Every how's that go? The, well, the Undertaker one did very well, and um, Good. you know, Kornacki last week did well. We'll see Russo. I figured that that was partly why I booked Russo for this week. I figured he'd play well on YouTube because he's always flailing his arms and screaming and yelling. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, off the, off the air, let's talk because I feel like you might have to do some negotiating with your bosses to get a little bit more cashish yeah. for this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's, um, let's move on to the NFL, and because I'm sure all the people who are eagerly awaiting this conversation between me and you are, are really would love to get our NFL thoughts. Let's start with the Monday Night Football booth, Jimmy, a booth that you have written about uh, a lot over the last couple of years. We're now sitting at uh, whatever it is, week something, 14, 15. So you have a base now to judge Steve Levy, Bob, uh, Bob Greasy, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick. And the interesting thing as we are taping this, Jimmy, is Lewis Riddick is being interviewed for GM jobs. So there is, a, I think, a realistic chance that – you know, Riddick gets a GM job, and then you have the Steve Levy, Brian Greasy booth, and what that means. So, first question on this: If you had to evaluate them this year, it's always tough to evaluate a booth uh, with just one year. Um, what's your thought on this sort of very general question? Uh, I thought it would be better. I think three people is a huge, huge problem. 
very hard to get in a flow, very hard to, I mean, it's as simple as this. Look at the, look at the really excellent teams that are out there. Buck Aikman, Nance Romo, Alan Chris, two people. Three people is a problem. It just, I think it just, it's very hard to get that flow chemistry. ESPN insists on it. I don't know why. Um, I think they're okay. I don't think they're great. I thought they'd be better. I don't think they're bad. They're a bad listen. Um, I think three people maybe makes it a little like in a game like Monday with the Browns and Ravens. It's too frantic with three people. It's two people, please. And um, they're okay. They're not great. They're not bad. I'd say they're okay. I will make this prediction right now on your podcast that I, I, I would, if I were a betting man, I would bet money Peyton Manning is the analyst for Monday Night Football next year. Really? You think he finally? Yeah. You know, he's turned them down multiple times. You think he finally decides to do? I don't know if I agree with that because I'm not sure well, he's interested in the what travel. I had, what I what I had heard from multiple sources about Peyton was he didn't want to call games while Eli and Brady were still playing. Eli is right. not well, Bra- playing. Brady's still going to be playing still. Right, but I mean, what is he going to do? One or two bucks? How many the bucks will be on Monday night? Maybe once next year, maybe twice tops. Um, maybe. And he's still working with ESPN on those ESPN Plus shows. I don't know the name of them. I don't watch them, but he, they're always yeah. sending out press releases about yep. Peyton. This, um, and you know, Romo got his whatever seventeen million, and I think ESPN is going to go to him for like twenty million a year, and I think he'll finally buckle down and take it. Interesting. It's Peyton's places, by the way, on ESPN+. Plus. Um, so a couple things from my end. Uh, I, I'm a, not as hard on this booth as as you are. I'm not saying you're, you've been super hard. I, I think they've done a good job. I think they're professional. Do I think they're, like, would I put them over Romo Nance? No. Would I put them over Al and Chris or Mike and Chris? No. Would, you, would I put them over Buck and Aikman? Over, no. Would, would I put them over, would I put them over Ian Eagle, Charles Davis? No. No. Would I put them over Kevin Harlan? And Kurt Warner, no. But I think they have been professional enough where they have not given you the same kind of, you know, social media, how do you want to say it? Uh, You know, just sort of the negative social media that that basically Monday Night Football had gotten for two years in a row prior to that. So I think if nothing else, Dave, you know what I mean? They've stopped the bleeding, so to speak. And so if you can't get a better booth, like if you cannot basically come on and just knock it out of the park with some kind of hire, I would probably retain them. The The interesting thing here is, Jimmy, if Riddick gets a job with a with a team, would you just would you just have Levy Greasy? I don't know. Yes, the real question is, and this is see, see now, this is I would agree with you, but this is where ESPN is always sort of uh you know, a little, sometimes they like a, like a, like a dog chasing its own tail. They're they're very obsessed with names. They're very obsessed with sort of winning the press release. And I do wonder if they think Steve Levy and Brian Greasy are sort of big enough names where they can go into, you know, uh, where their people, their salespeople, can go into you know media buyers and try to sell Monday Night Football as this mega thing. Like I think is I think fans don't care. I think fans just want to quality game yeah maybe they maybe Romo is their favorite analyst I'm sure he is but I think fans ultimately just want a quality broadcast and I think if it was Levy Greasy next year or Levy Riddick and Greasy again I think you'd get a quality uh, you know whatever the word quality is a quality broadcast 
Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, because, you know, you say ESPN is obsessed with names, but they didn't really go with names for this booth. I mean, I think they were trying to stop the bleeding from the last <laughs> two years. They, well, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get the names they wanted, right? They couldn't get right. Romo and they couldn't get Peyton. Right. So they were I, going for him, but yeah, I know. Yeah the the interesting thing the the interesting thing there is is Steve Levy, in that you know there's probably very few people, very few play by play people who would sort of fall under like quote unquote names. Like I think Nance you would say is right, and Michaels, yeah, yeah. Um, Rico, Buck. But the, you know, once you get past like that group, um, I don't know if there's any play by play announcer who is so m- marketable. That it's a difference maker. Like again, I I think me and you are in agreement with this, Jimmy. If um, if if there's an incredible game, if it's Chiefs um, Packers, me and you could call it, and the rating would probably be the same, or at least very close. So it's not like these guys are bringing more viewers. I do think though, they make a massive difference in how you you know how you process the game, how much you enjoy the game, and the the Monday Night Football booth this year. It's hard to tell from social media. Like, for a long time, I think people were like, all right, these guys are okay. And then at least in the last couple of weeks, it does feel we've seen a little more Steve Levy bashing than normal. Or am I, or do you think my assessment on that's a little... I, I can't say I've seen that. Um, I can't say I've seen that. Um, but I, I think they've pretty much, you know stop the bleeding when it comes to getting bashed on social media. I, I haven't seen too much of yeah. it because like I said, I think they're okay. okay. I think they're fine. They're not, um, they're I might not, be a little too online there. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't think it's that bad, but you know, it's just me. I'll tell you who I, I really like. I wrote I'll about, t- I mean, I, I sort of took shots at them last week and then it happened again this week where they just completely ignore the point spread on these crazy covers. And I yeah, think it's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. I, I'm with yeah. you. It's so silly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know they're. That's just being afraid in the NFL. I think. Uh, of course, of course. I don't, especially yeah. when. I mean, I mean I, also, do you? I mean, I, I even think. I, I mean, I know this is not a popular take, but I'm even like tired of the Al Michaels wink wink stuff. I just, I like wish people would just be honest and just say, okay, that safety. Uh, you know, the the spread on the game was three, and that safety obviously makes it a five point game. So there's gonna be. I mean, a lot of people disappointed on one side, like that. That's just like it's two seconds, and it just would be honest, right? Yeah, but you, you, yeah, but you answered your own question earlier. That's because Al and 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 Joe and Nancy, they're not going to do it because they're going to hear from their bosses because they're going to hear from Goodell. This is all starts at the top. This is all Roger Goodell. He doesn't want it mentioned, so they can't mention it. Well, the NFL is still trying to figure out, of course, what its relationship is to sports gambling, and that's really financially related. They just basically want to set up. Um, you know, they they basically want whatever agreements that they're going to have in place so that they can make the most ultimately on this gold rush. And right. So I think right. we're not so far away from um, seeing what the spread is on air. And then I, again, I don't think on network broadcast these guys are going to talk about it much, but but they will acknowledge something like what happens at the end of a game, um, well, which I just think I've is always... good content. They should just do it because it's good. Con- Forget the fact that it's honest; it's also good content. They should just bring it up for that reason to me. Well, that's what I've always said. I don't expect any NFL broadcast booth to sit there and talk about the point spread and the over-under for three hours. But when you have right. 50 laterals cause the point spread to swing at the on the last play of the game, you got to say something. I agree. Yeah, what a crazy ending, by the way. Uh, you know who I uh, love, by the way, who I think has just become one of the best uh, broadcasting teams in the NFL? 
is uh, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. Have you listened to those guys at all this year? They're they're and give Evan Washburn some props there too. That 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 team has been together for less than a year, and it feels like they've been together for ten. And you know, I remember I had Ian on the pod, on, my, on the SI Media podcast um, towards the beginning of the pandemic. Maybe it was like April May, and you know, he said like you know couldn't go out to dinner with his new partner, couldn't do practice games with his new partner in person because of, because of COVID. So they, they you know, they came into this season um, not able to do the thing, you know, that most broadcast partners do. It was sort of like a shotgun wedding type of thing because of COVID and they're, you know, Ian's great. He can do anything. And, you know, it'll be interesting, you know, Marshan of the post had that report about Nance wanting the Romo money. You know, you can't ever right. see Jim Nance leaving CBS, but, if, if if in some crazy way that ever happened, it'd be interesting to see if CBS, you know, made Ian sort of the face of that network, given that he does, you know, the NFL and, and uh, college hoops, and then he does, obviously, NBA for TNT, so... Um, yeah, I think the, the only... I mean, I think, first of all, I, I would, I'd honestly be stunned if Jim Nance left yeah. CBS. I, I think that's pretty important. Now, if you wanted to go to that sort of very, very remote scenario. Like, the scenario would be Nance going to ESPN uh, to do Monday Night Football, ESPN trying to get the Masters or more of the Masters and trying to use Nance as their chip to get that Sunday-Saturday away from CBS. And then, obviously, CBS has a big hole, but I think not as big a hole as you just mentioned because I think Ian could absolutely be the number one um, the number one in terms of the play-by-play booth, although you'd change up the Davis team. And then, you know, you'd have to obviously figure out who will do the Masters, which which would be the toughest one to replace. But you can definitely, uh, Jimmy, get I think a handful of people to do the March the final the call of March Madness, call of the Final Four. No, no disrespect to Jim Nance, but there's a lot of good basketball broadcasters out there who I think yeah. could seamlessly come in, fit with Raftery or anybody else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could have Ian or Harlan do it, no problem. Yeah, Harlan would be great. I mean, I think Harlan is. Uh, Phenomenal, uh, actually. He's had a great career, and he's always great at what he does. Um, one more football thing here. Yeah. And then I want to get into AEW, WWE. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll sort of end. And, and then anything else you want to get into, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you sort of saw the reporting from um, – uh, forgive it may, it may have been O'Rand or someone else. Forgive me if I have it wrong, but you know, O'Rand's on top of – the John O'Rand of the Sports Business Daily is on top of all this stuff. Um it seems like the network's interest in Thursday night football is very, Isn't very small. Fat? They they can't seem to make money on it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's still drawing like, you know, sometimes 10, 12 million people. So like at the end of the day, you're, there's nothing else on network TV that's coming close to it, but it's very clear that, that they don't want to pay the price uh, that they paid. I, the production is a lot. It's very costly. So what do you think is going to happen here, Jimmy? Do you think there's a possibility in the, Next couple of years, we could see, and this really would have to be the NFL doing it, but the NFL just deciding to be like, you know what? We're going to bite our teeth. We may lose some people. We may get some people pissed off, but we're going to sell this to Apple TV. We're going to sell this to Amazon. We're going to sell this to um, Netflix, and this will be the first regular package that's exclusively streaming or exclusively behind a paywall. I, you know, in a way, I'm glad you brought this up, and in a way, I'm not glad you brought it up because I'm glad you brought it up because I, I, I'm with you. I think this is fa- I don't understand what is going on here that nobody wants Thursday night football. <laughs> I'm not glad you brought it up because I have nothing to add. Like I don't, 
I wanted to reach out to people and say, like, what is going on here? I don't buy that it's like a financial thing because of COVID. And there's nothing like there's nothing like the NFL in terms of ratings, profits, ad time. Um, I don't know if it's a deal where maybe like Fox, uh, it's too much to do the Thursday night with the Sunday. I, I don't I have no answers to you on this one. I don't get it. Um, you would think, you know, it, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, I pray to God it wouldn't go to just a streaming service. That's, I'm old, and that's not how I want to watch games. I still want to watch games on TV. But um, I, I don't know. I just, why, you know, I was thinking, why wouldn't TNT, Bleacher, Turner, whatever you want to call them, why would they uh, try to get? Why wouldn't they why take they a shot at to, yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a, so here's a good example. They, like, so yeah, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you to say this. So, like, I, I, I'm with you on this. Like, this week, Patriots Raiders was the Thursday night game. Did Chargers. 13? Well, it was also Chargers. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, Patriots, well, simulcast. Patriots Rams. Patriots Rams. Rams. Patriots, Patriots, Patriots Rams. Rams. I'm sorry. Uh, simulcast on Fox too, but like 13.64 right. million. That's a real yeah. rating. I mean, that's legit, that's a big rating. Better than anything else that's that's going to be on TV that week, except for Correct. Sunday Night Football. Correct. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't yeah, get I it. Don't, I don't. Yeah. And sometimes you know they do have these games that uh, you know they get lucky. They catch lightning in a bottle, and like you know, it's the the rating sometimes could be like something like fifteen million. Yes, sometimes right. they just have dog games, and it's like you know eight or nine million. But I'm looking actually on Sports Media Watch's page this year. He has all the games here. So far, the lowest I've seen is 11 million. All right, here's a 10 million Giants Eagles Week Seven. But still, you know that's the lowest so far that I wasn't wasn't that uh, going that against the, that was going against the debate. I think if I'm not mistaken. Oh, maybe that's the case. Okay, and then you so here you go. You have Week Five Bucks Bears. So you have Tom Brady. And then you have the Bears, which are a big market team, fourteen point seven one million. I mean, that's you know, yeah. that's not so far from the Sunday Night Football game that week. Yeah, that that Giant uh, Eagle game went went up against one of the debates, I believe. So okay, so um, there you go. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's weird. I I mean, there's a larger debate to sort of even talk about like should even like Thursday Night Football be played? It's not fair to the players. It's a total money grab. We all know that. But if it's if it exists, if, I'm just surprised somebody has not figured out how to. I don't know how somebody is not either satisfied with it, or I don't know how you've uh, yeah, you can't I'm figure with out you. with the NFL maybe to maybe to pay less money in the rights fee. Maybe that's ultimately what it is. Because but that thing has just gone around now twenty different times. It's been you know feels yeah. like it's been on every network at this point. But ter- it would be big for Turner. It would really establish yeah. Turner um, in a, in a space that they don't have right now. I know they um, do for the so NBA on Thursday nights, but they could easily blow that off and push it to another yes. night. So. Yeah, you work with your NBA partner and just make make it Wednesday night basketball. Right. Um. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, AEW versus WWE. Totally f- interesting to me. Um, in that, uh, one, I'm a, a huge fan of like sort of just AEW's creative. I think they're really smart. 
I got a lot of respect for Tony Khan that he seems to let his wrestlers um, sort of create their own storyline, do some non-traditional stuff. They've done this all in COVID with no crowds, which is very, very impressive. Um, they're beating NXT on the head-to-head, I believe. Obviously, Raw and SmackDown are going to get better numbers than the singular AEW show. So let's start with AEW first. What do you think of it just as a media product and a media entity? Do you watch it, one, and two, what do you think of it? I've had a very hard time watching wrestling during the pandemic with the no fans, and I don't know. There's something about it. It's, it's hard for me to get into. I keep, I try, you know, I follow it, you know, for work purposes, and I check in, obviously, here and there, see what's going on. I mean, listen, I think from a business perspective, I, I don't know how you can not be impressed by AEW. I mean, just starting this company off the ground, competing with WWE. I think I read this morning, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read this morning that this week's AEW, well, it would be last week's AEW, this week's airs uh, tonight. Last week's AEW beat Raw. Um, really? Wow. That'd be, I, if that I, was a Sting-related AEW, but that would, or maybe, that would yeah, surprise maybe, me. I don't, maybe they beat them in, you know, 18 to 49 or total, you know, I, you know how they maybe, separate. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, here you go. Good job by Brandon Thurston, who I highly recommend on Twitter. He runs the WrestleNomics uh, Twitter feed, which is awesome. He said, AEW last week beat Raw in several demos. Uh, 18 to 49, men 18 to 49, many, uh, all people 18 to 34. Wow, you're right, Jimmy. Good call. So that that does not happen. Or maybe right. that hasn't happened well, before. That's pretty uh, Raw is a Raw is a rough watch these days. And, you know, there's a you know. There's a story there, and I couldn't get into it with Heyman, and you know how Paul Heyman is. He won't get into it. But, you know, yeah, they, you know Heyman was writing Raw. He's not. Now Vince is back. You know, Vince is up there in age. Does he know what viewers want? Who, you know, I, the behind the scenes of the WWE is, is fascinating um, because it seems like their on-air stuff is just not really that great. Um, well, let, let, so let, so let, before you get into this, is what I want to finish with yeah. you because this is interesting. Yeah, yeah, do yeah. you think? Do you think Fox? How do you think Fox feels about that deal right now with SmackDown? If they were being honest, total. I, to, if they, if they, if you put them on Truth Serum, you think they're still happy because they want because it does give them programming and they like being associated with WWE, or do you think they're thinking, "Holy shit, we we absolutely thought this was going to be bigger than it was." I, I think they would tell you that they're happy. And there are benefits to it. Like, listen, there's, you know, this covering this stuff, there's nothing more dead in terms of TV ratings than a Friday night. So they can put SmackDown on and, and win the night in the demographic and they can, and they, they've probably got massive amounts of content for their social from, you know, being in partnership with the WWE. So there, there are positives from that standpoint. I do think they probably expected to get a lot more bang from their buck in terms of, um, you know, ratings, buzz, you know, they'll tell you about YouTube views or something like that. But like, I don't think it's been a difference maker at all that SmackDown's on, you know, if, it, if SmackDown was on Fox, UPN or wherever, USA, uh, you know, I don't think being on Fox has added anything or, or I don't think it's changed the game for Fox in any way at all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the the thing about SmackDown is that first show was incredible. I think The Rock was on that show, right? I mean, yeah. like, it just, yeah. they, they could not have had a better first show. It felt like this is going to be game-changing with the connection with Fox and the promotion on the NFL and all this stuff. And it just hasn't – I'm not saying it's failed, but it hasn't popped. And I don't know right. if that's right. creative, WWE creative. 
I don't know if it's Fox. I'm sh- obviously some of this is COVID. They they have no crowds, which is a game changer for the well, for the WWE. The other, but it hasn't. It has it hasn't. But now that again, maybe that changes. Um, but I think it's going to be a combination of creative and then obviously post COVID, where you can actually go to arenas. And the wrestling fan, the the week in week out wrestling viewer doesn't give a shit what network is airing SmackDown. They're going to watch it no matter what network it's on, and they're going to watch it if they're interested in the storylines and what's going on. Yes, I agree, if, I, if, I, if, I agree with that. If the storylines in the TV product are bad, they're not going to be like, oh, but they're on Fox, let me go watch it. I mean, they don't care. You know? Yeah, the, 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 again, I'm not saying this is easy, and everybody, you know, as uh, JR would say, everybody's a booker, you know? Yeah. Uh, Conrad would say that too. But, but like, there are – it's amazing to me. Like, I think Roman Reigns' character right now is phenomenal. Like, I think yep. that's just interesting. I think The Fiend is a great character. But then there are other characters there that, like, they just they've, – they've just sort of missed the boat on so badly. Like, uh, like Braun Strowman is a character that should be, should be, like, a monster and should be beyond popular. And I don't, like, know what he is or he represents. Uh, same thing right now with AJ Styles, who's been a, like a great, uh, superb performer. Um, do you know what I mean? So they, it's just weird. Like it's Seth Rollins is another guy. Like, I think like the Messiah yeah, thing has just gone on. It's too long. It's just like, you got a great, great over the top, great performer and sort of, he's just sort of being wasted in, in a storyline that I think people are not invested in. And I will say this, they definitely... Uh, lost something with Becky Lynch obviously leaving. We congratulate her for her uh, the birth of her child with Seth Rollins. And, you know, Charlotte hasn't been around for a while. So two of their mega stars on the women's side are gone. And obviously Ronda Rousey left. But, like, do you know what I'm saying, Jimmy? Like, there are some people who are great performers who, like, me as a casual fan, like, I can't tell you, like, I can't tell you why I should be invested in them right now. And that, to me, would be a problem for WWE. And I also this is gonna this is a much larger topic for a much larger discussion. But I also think they're sort of in a they're in an impossible situation because I don't know how you write a good, interesting, compelling two hour wrestling show twice a week in the in this in yeah. this uh, what what is it the PG era? I don't know what it's, it's not the Attitude Era, but it's sort of the. Oh, I thought you. I just thought you were saying in, in like. Uh... Basically, in a in a in an empty arena with just video screens, I think that's well, a that's, challenge too. No, that's one issue, but also they have to really, you know, yeah. The attitude they're, kid, they're trying to be kid. Fr- they're trying to be. They're trying right. to appeal to young people, so they can't right. do attitude era anymore. The stuff that they got I, away I, with in the nineties. If you look I at that to stuff someone, today, you're like, how do they get away with it? Right. I said to someone this year, like they should have had a character who was like a Donald Trump MAGA come out with the red hat every week. <laughs> But you, but you know, you know they're not going to do that because of Linda's connection well, with the Trump administration. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But I'm I don't disagree saying, with you. I think that would be a great character. But they're not. They're not one doing of the that. Guys that family's into, connected. Like, a, to Trump. a COVID truther and have him rant about like how he doesn't want to wear a mask every week. Like do so, make one of the diva, make one of the female wrestlers. You know, a Karen. Like do something topical and you know. But they don't. They can't go there anymore. In the Attitude Era, they would have done that. Oh, in a, I mean, not even close. I mean, if you, listen, the history of the WWE is playing off the news. <laughs> I mean, right. Iron Sheik, <laughs> Nikolai right. Volkov, Sergeant Slaughter, all that stuff is just playing I mean, off the whatever Undertaker, was going on culturally. The, Unde- the Undertaker put Stone Cold on a cross on an episode of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, you know, 
it's hard to compete with uh, that. Again, there are, there are things that they did, again, for any wrestling fan, and I think wrestling fans know this, the stuff that these guys did in the 90s and early 2000s, if you look at it today in a 2020 context, you're like, how on earth did, how on earth oh. did this even stay on? Right. I mean, right. sexism, racism, I mean, just like a shit show of the highest order. Um, so in that sense, they're better. I think they have morphed into a sort of a better company. But yes, it does then limit you. You can't do car crash TV every week. Right. Um, all right. Is there anything else uh, you want to add before we get out of here? That was a good uh, discussion. Mean, uh, are we not going to talk about Venezuela rigging the Dominion machine? <laughs> I've, I have not talked about politics on this podcast in a long oh, time. Oh, really? Uh, or if ever. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what do you want me to tell you? Like, the, What do I think of the six-state conspiracy that involves Hugo Chavez, George Soros? And, yeah. Yeah, and, and Rigel Seven from Star Trek? I mean, it's... As someone who loves the United States of America, I do live in Toronto, as everybody that listens to this podcast knows, but obviously I vote in the States, I pay taxes in the States. It's just... And I get that we are in a polarized time. I understand that. And, and I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be healing anytime soon. I just, I think I remained stunned, not just disappointed, but stunned, Jimmy, that there are people who sort of, I think, are so, um, uh, what's the word I'm working radicalized, that they can't even step back and sort of think about what kind of conspiracy would have had to have happened. To, to pull off some of the, the things that are being alleged. So I know you're in Canada. Did right? Did the Democrats not use Canada to dump the ballots in the rivers and the lakes up there? Or did we only do that in the Which United one? States of America? Like Lake Michigan, Lake Ontario. I mean, yeah, I guess I, you gotta I, get the Coast I mean, Guard to check to check it out. Yeah, again, like, I mean, I know I I bought my ballot from my mailman. Which is another thing that, you know, is that I'll just say this. I don't want to get into it either, but I'll just say this. The, the best, the single best line I've heard over the last, since the election. Right. Came, came from the great Howard Stern on Sirius XM, who basically said the day after the election or the, maybe the week after the election. The bottom line is that right now in, in the United States of America, half the country is backpacking. And it's true. Oof. I don't want to think like that. I'm not. I mean, if it's half, we're 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 done. Let's hope well, it's not. Well, seventy three million. Half. But by the way, it, but, yeah, I know. I trust me. I know. In um, what do you? I mean, this. I mean, maybe this is more funny than not, or morbid funny. But like, if we are the Seattle Kraken, like, how are you feeling about that nickname right now? Yeah, that was a weird nickname to begin with. Yeah, maybe nobody's gonna care. But yeah, I, I mean, listen, there, there. I I I trust me. I, I when I see the news sometimes, and certainly on on social media, which I don't even recommend. Obviously, both of us are on too much. It it is just incredible what you see out there. It, it's like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it it's it's like the the like the his, the History Channel's conspiracy shows coming to life. It, Everything's it's, a conspiracy. Not, Everything's a conspiracy. Yeah. Everything. Do you still listen to Howard? Do you have serious still? Not no. Uh, I would say very intermittently. Uh, but I did happen to hear him. Um, I did hear his announcement that he was staying. And someone told me I should. Uh, uh, this is actually maybe even this happened today. Someone told me I should listen to this George Clooney interview, which I heard was somebody told it me. Was it was very good. It was very, very yeah, good. Go check that out. So I tell you, if how Clooney's how honest, if Clooney, if Clooney's on, honest, which I, I, I think he is as an interview, I think he's 
probably got some amazing things to talk about because he's a very bright guy who's had an yeah. amazing acting career. No, he was good. Talked a lot about pranks he's done over the years and all that stuff. But how about Howard? You know, there's so much out there about Howard's change, sell out, this, that. He had Paul McCartney on last week, uh, yesterday. Paul McCartney yesterday, George Quinney today. I think Sirius XM is more than happy with, with the show Howard's doing. But I don't think well, he's here, Well, here, yeah, I agree with you. Here's the thing with Stern. I mean, the people who want him to go back to the, you know, lesbian dial-a-date days, like, he's never going back to that. It's over. But... The value of him is that he is so famous and he has established such a brand that he is probably among the handful of radio people who can get a George Clooney or a Paul McCartney or a Nicole Kidman like to walk in the studio and actually reveal some things that they never revealed. I mean, other than The Breakfast Club, like, I don't know, maybe Rogan, although I don't think every, I don't think. I think people will not as many people will go on Rogan anymore. Do you know what I'm saying, Jimmy? There's only like there's like less than five people in the world who could get that level of star to come on and not just do a bullshit interview. That's his value to Sirius to me. It's uh, you know the whack pack stuff will always be funny and you know Benji and JD and all those guys, but like I think that's where his like sort of financial value lies in that if you're there's just very few people who can get that kind of level of celebrity to come in and to do an hour. Um, you know, and just, and actually be revealing. Um, so, you know, I, I, the trade-off that he made, I think he had to make, he's a 60 something year old man, right? He's, you, yeah. He's 67. You, you can't old. be doing, you can't be doing right. the shit he did at 40 or 30. Uh, you right. eventually become a caricature. You're done. If you do that. I agree. I agree. Um, nice deal. Works three days a week. What's the corona situation where you are? Like, it's crazy here again in the United States. Obviously, New York City is another. What, what is well, it? Well, yeah, so it's. Here, we'll end on this because I know my producers are. They have to go. Um, so it's just. it's Toronto and Ontario have the same issues that the States does. COVID, okay. COVID, COVID is going the wrong direction. Um, there's obviously debate here in terms of like, you know, what to do and how to do it. Should schools be open? Should schools be not? Here's the two biggest differences, at least from my opinion, as an American living here. One, not everything is polarized. Right. In fact, and while there is a little bit of that, it's 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 not the dominant storyline. So people can sort of still be reasonable. There's not, there's not protests all over the place, like I'm not wearing my masks. Two, health officials still, for the most part, have a lot of uh, respect uh, and trust, so people will listen to health officials, which is huge. Although, again, some health officials certainly face criticism for whether they've been tough enough on this. And so, here's the last part, Jimmy. It's just all scaled down: 37 million people in Canada versus 330 million in the states, right? Right. Two right. and a half million people in Toronto area versus New York. So, I'll give you an example, and you can compare it to your own world. Uh, today in Ontario, they went over 2,000 cases for the first time in a long time. And Toronto has been sitting around 600 cases or so. So people around here are losing their mind. They're like, "Oh my God, this is horrible." But I'd imagine compared to the numbers that, that compared to the numbers that you've seen, right? Those would be low. Those are nothing. Guess. Yeah, yeah, that's nothing. Correct. Yeah. So that's that's Sadly. that's the difference. Sadly. Is yeah. it's all it's all perception. So p- people here are like, feel like, "Oh my God, we got to close everything down because we hit over the 2,000 mark." I think as an American, I have more perspective. I like, you know, I'll go online and I'll see like. You know, holy shit! Look at these numbers in North Dakota. And right. I'm like, wow. You know, that's so. That's the deal. So. I got you. Yeah, we're all dealing well, with it though. All stay right. Stay safe up there. Jimmy Trainer writes the Trainer 
thoughts column on SI.com. And he's the host of the SI Media Podcast. Go listen to the podcast. Give it an excellent review. I'm no longer, I, I was never really mad at Jimmy. I have my issues with some people at SI on this podcast, but not Jimmy. And we uh, have our for other Jimmy's success. Besides the podcast. Yeah, th- that's true. That's true. Yeah. And no, I want this to continue. <laughs> Hopefully, this continues long after Jimmy's gone, whenever that happens. Um, the reviews are funny because I, I always forget that there's a review thing. And then one, like once every like four months, I'll Every one-star review comes from someone who's mad that I mentioned that Trump is a sociopath during the podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen I've seen your reviews sometimes, and they're always like, you know, the host is a New York City liberal who loves right. Howard Stern and doesn't like Donald Trump. Yeah, I haven't really, right. you know, I've, I've I've I have not I've intentionally sort of not gone sort of hardcore politics on this podcast. I mean, I, I, Twitter is like my feed for when I want to do that, so I haven't yeah. gotten as much uh, bashing on the. Uh, on the on the podcast end, but um, right. but yeah, I mean it's uh, yeah, it's it's that's what a, what a world basically. What a world. All right, Jimmy Trainer, listen to him, follow his uh, all his multimedia stuff. Thank you, Thanks Jimmy. Thanks for having me. On. Thanks for having me on, Richard. I appreciate it. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as I said at the top, we bring in Jane McManus, one of my favorite people in the world. Although, my God, just the, the amount of like titles she has at the moment is just a little annoying. But here we go. The director of Maris's Center for Sports Communication. She's a columnist for Deadspin. She is also the co-host of Ladies Room, which is a podcast with Julie DeCaro. Uh, check that out there, uh, among their, uh, opening guests. I think they've only done four episodes is Martina Navratilova. So, um, they're definitely getting some high end, uh, some high end guests. And Jay McManus joins me on the sports media podcast. Jane, how are you? I'm good. That's a great intro. Also, Rich, I, you know what? You could have just stopped at one of my favorite people in the world and that would have been enough for me. That was reading. That was a pretty good read. I thought off the cue cards that were written for me. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I didn't write that part though. Right. That was the that was the improv. Yeah, Jay. No, you literally sent that to me in an email saying, "Please, like, read the following here." <laughs> um, all right. So one of the, let's here start with this, Jane. One of the things, uh, if people who follow Jane on Twitter, it's at Jane Sports. Um, Jane, you have. Um, You've been very vocal about how you feel about college football being played during the pandemic, and this is obviously an issue that um, that's been really interesting, sort of media-wise. It's it's you know it's I, I would argue it's a little tricky for the college football press to cover, and let me tell you why. And you're certainly welcome to counter because on the one hand, their livelihood is based on the game and the sport and the games playing. And so, you know, you want to cover the sport sort of the way you have. And then on the other hand, of course, there is certainly a philosophical and moral argument like as to why these games are being played at all. What I've said, 
um, I'm not sure I've said this on this podcast, but I've certainly said it online, and I've certainly said it on the radio show in Toronto, is um, to me, what's the most outrageous of this is that these are essential workers. They're, they're not student athletes. They're essential workers. And thus, like, it's infuriating that they're not paid for this. I have no problems with the pros playing. To me, that's an adult decision. You're compensated for taking that health risk. In this case, these guys are just going out there at the um, to to financially take care of uh, television contracts for conferences and the money that floats into athletic departments. The counter argument, which I've heard certainly from coaches and people I respect, is, well, the safest place for them on earth will be on campus. And so if, if they do happen to contract COVID-19, we have world-class medical facilities and they will be they will be um, treated here better than they could be um, outside of here. So that's my whole long setup, Jane. Um, where do you stand on this and why, why has this been such a passionate issue for you? Because I think that this is the place in sports where there is just such a complete disconnect between the values that we talk about sports promoting, particularly in college football, where you have a lot of coaches in, invoking religion, uh, talking about teamwork and leadership um, and, you know, pulling together and community and the sense of pulling together for a larger goal. When in this situation, a pandemic, the larger goal should be for everybody to not get sick uh, and to have college football be discussed in a way where it is the most important thing is to me a just complete abdication of responsibility by those coaches who, you know, and, and look, everything that you said is something that, that I've said as well. And I certainly agree with is that these players are not compensated in a way that they could, you know, use to buy a house or to get medical care after they're done with their playing careers or in any way that we think of currency, in a capitalist society being something that compensates you for your labor. They don't have it. And so to me, it limits their choices. Let's be honest. Most, many of these players, the best players, are in college because it is the only way that we funnel players to a professional sport where they can be paid for their output. That's the only way it happens in this country for the most part. And I covered, you know, as you know, I covered the NFL for years. Very rarely, even on those days where they pull in all the undrafted free agents and give them workouts, very rarely do you see a player trying out who hasn't completed some kind of college somewhere. So really, this is what this is the exchange we're asking them to make. If you want a future career in the sport, you have to play now. We've already seen there's been coverage in the times of of a player who died um, who contracted COVID and died. We've seen coverage of a player who opted out and then mysteriously there was an issue with their scholarship and they were dropped. Um, they were dropped from their scholarship at that school. So the idea that there's, that there's no, that there's no issue, there's no challenge, there's no risk for these players um, when it comes to playing college sports is, is a fallacy. There's also new information, of course, coming out about long COVID and about how young people are being impacted by COVID, um, which, you know, I think a lot of, certainly when these decisions were being made to actually play college football, that's when there was a lot of science coming out about myocarditis and potential heart issues. And rather than take that seriously and wait for more information to come out, um, there was a lot of, you know, Scott Atlas-esque clinging to whichever 
medical professional was saying not to worry about it and then going forward with playing despite the risks. So I think that, uh, and the other thing is, we know that college football doesn't happen in a vacuum. People gather to watch it in a home or on television or in a bar, which could possibly mean that there's transmission. Also, you know, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily that players themselves are going to catch it and die right there immediately, but it's more that this leads to spread in the community. Again, there have been New York Times articles about how college campuses and communities around college campuses have, uh, when the return of college led to greater spread. And then also you have college football teams that are playing when their college campuses aren't even there, when they've closed down um, the actual campus and they're still putting these players out there to play. I, I think it's, to me, completely discordant. And I watch coverage I watched a little bit of the selection show on ESPN and they paraded these college coaches out there like Brian Kelly talking about how, you know, our students are, are, are our players are going to be missing Christmas because we have to have them in a bubble. They can't see their families and boy, are they overcoming adversity and the, and the adversity is completely manufactured by these college teams and by the college institutions that need the money and by the broadcasters that need the money. So they can't be honest on these broadcasts about what's actually happening and about the costs that are being inflicted on these students and the community. Uh, and so to me, I just have a very hard time with it. I'm, I, and, I, and I also I struggle with the coverage around it. I, I struggle with the conversation around it. It, to me, feels very gaslighty. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm really struggling with college football as a concept this year. No, that's. I think that's well said. Um, when you look at the coverage, um, and the the most prominent player in college football coverage is ESPN, just given all the inventory they have. Of course, Fox has inventory as well on the, um, uh, you know, on the Big Ten, and then CBS obviously has the SEC. And, and again, this that that's just the television part of it. We can eventually get to the print part of it as well, where my place, the Athletic, has a big role in ESPN, New York Times, et cetera. But when you're watching this stuff, or when you watch this stuff, Jan, on ESPN and um, and Fox and et cetera, I guess one of the things that I noticed, this is not any kind of genius take, is that the 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 issue of COVID was was an issue very early on in the college football campaign and broadcasters would talk about it, not necessarily in depth, but they would sort of at least examine it. And that feels like other than to acknowledge that teams are not playing, at least on game broadcasts, that that's just basically been eliminated. Yeah. And there've been dozens and dozens of games canceled and you have Ohio state in the playoff with, you know, six games and it's under its belt and a lot of speculation about, you know, whether this is an automatic, bid for the Big Ten. To me, it's it's just a crazy year. The fact that anybody was able to play games early on, I suppose, is a bonus. I I mean, I don't think it's actually a bonus. I I guess it's, you know, at least they were able to get them in. But we're in a situation now where, you know, there are 3,000 people a day dying in this country because of this virus. And to discuss college football as though it's an imperative is a, a ridiculous priority. And and I do think that a lot of the, it's not just that the coverage doesn't necessarily mention it. It's on, even on the selection shows, how it, the way they discuss uh, COVID as though it's, you know, a barrier or <laughs> something that's been put there to challenge these teams even more. Um, you know, it's offensive. And, and there is, there's a real, there's a real problem. I mean, you know, having worked for ESPN, nobody comes out and tells you, 
you can't talk about these particular issues because we're a broadcaster. But they may say things like, oh, you know, just we don't want to get to that too much in depth. I mean, say something about it, but then move on. Those are the types of things. And so as a broadcaster, you know that your job is dependent on the playing of these games. The same with you if you're a writer. Uh, you know, and you mentioned your place. I mean, Nicole Auerbach is somebody who's done, I think, a terrific job being a news reporter who covers reality and the facts and also being a sports reporter who covers the games and competition. I mean, and I think that's what everybody is required to be in this particular era. I mean, when we get a couple of years out of this and colleges have to examine and broadcasters have to examine their role and what happened and we need to have a better picture of what the long-term outcomes for and we have, you know, the names and the situations of people and players who have been I mean, I'm a, I fear that there are going to be many people who have been permanently affected. Their athletic careers have been permanently affected by either getting COVID and not being able to overcome it um, completely. I, I think, you know, the, di- the, the when we look back on this, it's going to be a, a pretty shameful period of time for the sports media. Do you, um, I mean, you sort of answered the question, but uh, I mean, in a sense, are we not all hypocrites? Because like, you know, we, we, and I, this is the collective we in the sports media, you know, on the one hand, I think, um, you know, we, there's a lot of people who I think at their core know that it's, it's just really not a wise idea to be playing. On the other hand, you know, they, they love the sport and when the sport is on in front of them, they're, they'll celebrate the great plays or they'll celebrate the, um, like the Heisman Trophy like achievements, and again, I'm not putting myself, I'm not separating myself from this because I've, well, I'm not the 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 most ardent college football watcher. I certainly did that, or with the NBA bubble or the NHL bubble. So, Jane, I wonder if, in some sense, everybody in this profession, um, are are hypocrites in some sense. Maybe the networks are the are the most hypocritical. You know, maybe some others are more hypocritical, but you know what I'm getting at, Jane? There's like a cognitive dissonance in that we all sort of like a lot of times will look the other way because we all enjoy the the competition or we we enjoy the sport so much or the or the achievement so much. See, I would separate out the different sports because I do feel like pro sports gave people an option of opting out. And they also, you know, with the NBA bubble, it really did try to create a safe environment for players, coaches, staff, et cetera, and not having fans in. But um, I feel like the, that college football has kind of taken the maybe herd immunity works approach to putting on a spectacle in a pandemic, which is, well, let's just get everybody sick and then they'll all be better and we can just keep playing like normal. I really do feel like that's kind of the approach. There have been literally hundreds, if not thousands of positive coronavirus diagnoses on these college teams. And that did not slow down anyone at all. And as a matter of fact, it seemed to be a strategy. Um, And that to me is what I find so difficult. So I would say, I would say, if you wanted to enjoy an NBA game, um, you know, I don't, I don't see that that's necessarily a hypocritical situation. They based it head on, acknowledged what was happening and tried to mitigate it. WNBA, the same national women's soccer league, the same, when they had their Utah bubble. So I do think there are definitely sports that have tried to do this in a forthright and honest way, assessing the risks and, and, pay, and then and trying to account for them. Uh, we all are taking risks 
um, if we decide to go to the grocery store, if you get together with a limited number of family over a holiday, if you go into a crowded space, I'm, you know, I'm sure we've all done things where we were like, this could be okay or this could be terrible. There were times this summer even where, um, you know, like with baseball, I thought that was going to be a disaster after they had the first couple of outbreaks. But then things kind of were okay. And that's because the, you know, the amount of virus in the country was went down and was not was at a level where something like finishing a baseball season happened. We just don't have that right now. And um, and so I do feel like, you know, that there should be more alarm bells ringing about what's happening with college football. Um, and it is hypocritical. The networks need the money. They need that money. And they've all looked at the bottom line and they've all looked at these cord cutters and they've all looked at um, how it is that watching live sports is the bread and butter of any sports network. And, and they've made that assessment that they need it and that they've got to have it. And that's what, that's why these college games are being played. There's no other reason. This idea that there's an imperative among students and college players to want to play is ridiculous. I also have an imperative to hug my family members. This is something that I don't do because I also don't want to spread a virus. The fact that that is not keeping any of these college teams uh, is from playing these games or balancing that against um, the fact that we've made it so that these players have to want to play if they want to have a future career I mean, it's just, it's a soup of, of, I don't even know what to say. It's like, it's just, it's a, it's a complete outrage. Well, I think, listen, I think they, I think the players want to play, but that's not really the point. The the point is that there are people charged with. They're forced to want to play. There are people charged with protecting their better interests. That, that's the point to me. And, and, you know, of course, everybody wants to play like in an ideal universe. We all want to do X, but we're not in that universe right now. We're in a pandemic. So. Um, so in that sense, I, I'm agreeing with you. The um, you you are the director at um, Maris's Center for Sports Communication. So you te- you're teaching right now students who hope to get into the sports media profession. When they see what's in front of them, Jane, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, um, jobs and layoffs happening, like are there is there has their optimism been shaken? I don't. I don't doubt that their passion for wanting to do this is as high as it was for us when we were in school. But they're entering the field in conditions that are that are much different. What are your students telling you right now? Well, I, th- I feel particularly for my seniors from who just recently graduated. So the ones who are trying to find their way in the workforce right now during a pandemic that is particularly challenging. So you know the way that I look at the sports media business is that. The way that it is at the moment is not the way that it always will be. Uh, There are still jobs. There are a lot of jobs in sports media. uh, And there will be a lot of jobs when games are being able to be played regularly, when there are fans in the stands, when, when everything gets back to something that's closer to what we've known in the past. That's just not where we are right now. And so I've said to students that they might have to do something else before they can do what they love. That doesn't mean that you shift your long-term goals, but it does mean that maybe your short-term goal has to be a little bit different. There are simply fewer people hiring right now. They don't, you know, if you don't want people in an office or in a studio and you have to keep everybody, you can't just have an extra person there for, you know, for another job that it can be uh, done by somebody else. 
so unfortunately, it means a lot of internships are uh, not being filled at the moment, or, or and and it's it's tough for our students, no question. But that's the case in a lot of industries right now. It's not just something that's happening in sports. So I, I do I do think it's a particularly challenging time, but I also don't think that big picture it has to mean that uh, you know that you can't still hope to work in sports. The, the are what are you finding that they're most interested in in terms of um terms of the type of uh types of media type of medium uh are they interested in television audio uh some kind of digital print or is it all a, is it all sort of equally a mix you know i think i think a lot of a lot of young people get into this because they kind of want to do something like you know bill simmons they kind of want to they kind of want to just go off on something that they're passionate about and which is great. Um, and then, but that has to be kind of channeled because, you know, not everybody can do that. There are very few people in the world who make money just kind of going off on something in sports. I know it seems like there are a lot of people who do that. Um, but really there aren't that many, there are many more jobs of people who are working behind cameras or producing or, you know, talking, you know, getting the ideas going for whatever radio show or, uh, network show there's going to be. So so there are a lot of positions, and I think what you have to do is kind of open up people's eyes to just how big the opportunities are um, and how varied the opportunities are and the skill sets that are needed in sports are. So it's kind of, you know, I feel like when, when, they, get, when they get on campus, the idea is to kind of back them up, show them what the big picture of the sports media landscape is, and then have them kind of, you know, pick another item from the menu and try to see where else their interest lies. Because, because I think, um, you know, we only know what we see when we're growing up. That's who's on TV that we're hearing, who, you know, who we're reading, if we're, if we're still reading, because not everybody is these days. But they're all, you know, who we like on social media, who we follow. So I think it's kind of um, showing them that their passion is actually much larger than they think it is when they come in. Let's finish up with, um, with ESPN. You... Um... You were how long did you work there for? Ten years? Seven? Uh, it was, yeah, just about like between seven and ten. I was I was there full time for a certain amount of time, but I was also there kind of on a contract uh, for a different amount of time. So probably about ten years overall. Okay, all right. So I mean that 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 you know that that would give you a really good sense of sort of uh, you know what the machine was like and what um, you know how they how they philosophically thought about journalism and and uh what it was like for you and other people who were you know who had jobs that were not necessarily opinionist jobs but were um somewhere between uh reporting and opinion and and you know journalistically uh how would i sort of say it like you know like journalistically inclined jobs and so this you know we saw jane this year um we saw a massive amount of um, just journalistic talent leave that place. I, I don't want to like if I start naming all the names, you know, I'll I'll leave out people. But from the you know the Claire Smiths to the Ivan Mazels to the Wayne Drays and you know just Ian O'Connor for me. Ian O'Connor. I mean, again, this is the issue is that I'll start naming people and I'll miss. But like, oh, yeah, I know there there were so you know. There were really like a lot of people who had like some unbelievable journalistic credentials who were laid off this year. And this has sort of been the case now for the for the last three to five years. You were part of one of those layoffs. And again, 
I have to be clear, there's obviously a lot of great people who remain from, you know, the T.J. Quinns, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But you look at that place. Jenna Janity. Yeah, Jenna, right, exactly. You look at that place today compared to, like, where it was, like, four or five years ago when you were working there. I have to be honest. It's stunning. It is stunning just to see the differences in people who had, you know, traditional journalism backgrounds. And, you know, it it does have an impact. I understand ESPN wants to keep putting out all the sort of the great stuff that they've done. And I get all that. But, like, you know, you you can't sort of spin this. Like, you know, OTL used to be on daily. You know what I mean? And, like, it's not anymore. You, you Look how many feature writers they used to have who were doing these long-form journalistic stuff. They have a lot less. So when you look at your old employer, like, you have great insight into this. Like, what do you see? Well, I see... I see a, a, a reconfiguring of focus and what is, what is it that you're looking to have as your goal and what's going to bring in the most revenue as a network. That's what I think is happening. And so I see the diminishment of things like, you know, wholesale, getting rid of the magazine, um, OTL being downsized. I mean, those were your two kind of journalism beacons. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff that was produced um, for the dot-com, the best of it would rise to either OTL or to the magazine. And without those platforms there, then, you know, what are you producing some of that long-form stuff for? I also think it's all part and parcel also of this idea that you don't want to get into issues too much. And obviously, after what happened with Jamel Hill and with Michael Smith, I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of courage has gone. You know, the idea that we're going to bravely take on these issues. And even if it confronts our audience a little bit, we're going to talk about this stuff. I think there's a real lack of an appetite to um, to anger broadcast partners, leagues, um, and that, you know, that is the bread and butter of ESPN these days, and so that's what the focus is. What is a comfortable experience for our viewers and doesn't challenge or confront them? And, yes, I mean, I loved a lot of the writers that you talk about, you know, Ian O'Connor is somebody that well, I'm sure that he'll – be just fine because he's so talented and such an excellent reporter. But, you know, he's, he's exactly part and parcel of that, what that represents, I think. Somebody who, uh, you know, made 10 phone calls before sitting down to write. Um, the, I think, you know, the, the, the pull is toward, is toward the fast food, which is, you know, the trades, um, you know, whether it's Woj or Schefter, being able to get that news out there and breaking the news and, and, pulling people in that way um, and then and kind of hyping up the leagues that are covered in a lot of ways. And not, not everybody does that. I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage because a lot of people that I respect and, you know, owe my career to are still there, but it, it but it's about, you know, what, what way did the cruise liner get pointed? And I think that's kind of where it's pointed right now. And, you know, it's a shame because I think a lot of us looked at ESPN as though it was, you know, dream job material, and still is in a lot of ways, uh, but that where you were going to get the best of everything because they had the resources and they could send somebody to Nepal for two months to do a story uh, on a Sherpa and talk about that from an athletic point of view. And I, I just think, you know, you just, you don't have that kind of interest right now. 
Yeah, what's uh, what's sort of troublesome here is that like that, you know that there that was like the one. That, I shouldn't say the one place, but that was a place where you really felt like there you there would be mass hirings or mass staffing, and that people with all sorts of different kinds of skill set would have jobs there for a long time. And in a sense, that they did. But I think you, to me, I feel like you've hit it. Is that what it feels like they're going to? is that they're going to have uh, the best in class in transactions. And whether it's Woj, you know, Patson obviously does a lot of different things, including features. But, you know, that that's um, Schefter, obviously, in terms of uh, breaking breaking NFL news, et cetera. But, like, it, that, it feels like that's now the template. And that's what they feel the, the, the value is going to be. I think they'll always have feature people because it does – you know, there, there'll be features on game day and there's features on Sports Center. It's just, I think so much of that, those uh, compared to what it was in the past is going to be reduced. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, every move I see ESPN make, like I must admit in the back of my mind, Jane, it all feels like it's just, it's all an end game to get a better NFL package. And it's all an end game to get into the Super Bowl rotation. And like, that's what Jimmy Pitaro was charged with and everything else sort of, in some sense, doesn't matter, um, you know, beyond sort of rights inventory and making sure that the NFL is happy. And um, I don't know what ESPN is going to be heading forward. I, people who say like ESPN is going to fold or it's done, it just that's just a foolish take. That's not going to be the case. But but I don't know what it's going to be like in in 2030. You know, I don't know if it's like ESPN Plus is like sort of what ESPN uh, ultimately is with some, you know, maybe some fewer games remaining over the air and the old, what we used to think of the old DSPM. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm well, sort I, of rambling know, a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Well, let me let me add, though. I think, you know, after Pitaro or, you know, if, if somebody else comes in, you know, I think of, of how Connor Shell was able to come in and drive a lot of really great prestige projects, 30 for 30s, things like that, the podcast series, all of that. Um, and you know who who knows who comes in? Maybe somebody wants to come in and make like a the 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 Atlantic kind of content for sports or a five thirty eight um, type of thing in a in a different vein. I mean, they do like to start these kind of prestige project products every once in a while. So who knows what the next iteration of that's going to be? I don't think ESPN is going to abandon the idea of journalism. I think it's a shame that they've done it with the products that they had that were so recognizable and so reliable. But again, you know, if you're, if you have a place like, um, you know, OTL that is looking every week to talk about, you know, the LSU sexual assault scandal, then that means that you're going to be talking about sexual assault on your network every week, or you're going to be talking about, you know, whatever the, the next, up is or, or a DUI or a league overlooking a particular issue or some sort of, um, you know, whether or not college sports are ethical, like all of these different things are going to get discussed. And I just think they got to a point where they were like, what's the advantage of that for us and our broadcast partners? Yeah, I mean, the, at the end of the day, like, yeah, the there's not really a lot of financial advantage for them when it comes to journalism, which is what one of the things I always appreciated from them is that they were doing it because they're sort of the this it was the right stories to tell, and these were important stories. I mean, if they were just looking to create an ATM, ultimately what you do is you buy all the rights up, right? You just put like you know you put shows around it that essentially serve as promotional 
vehicles for these sports. And then occasionally, you know, when you have to, you point out the ills of the sport, but usually those ills are about, you know, players or coaches sort of doing something wrong as opposed to the institutional issues of the sport. So we'll see. Uh, you may have more optimism than me here. I, I, I'm not so sure that there'll be prestige projects every now and then, but I feel like there'll be sort of the more 30 for 30 prestige projects than on the, um, on the journalism end, but you know, maybe we'll be surprised. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Jane, before I let you go? I kept you far longer than I thought I would. You're, yeah, I know your time is valuable. Well, yeah, I know, but we, we have good conversations, and, and so we, we kind of keep going. Um, no, I don't. Yeah, we have used to be paid to for those. So. This is free for both <laughs> of us right now. <laughs> no, I just I just you know appreciate your podcast and appreciate that you talk about these issues. I'm I'm a listener in addition to a talker, so um, just you know thanks for, you for looking at these. Po- are you enjoying the Are you enjoying the podcast that you're doing? You like it. Very much. Yeah, I mean, that's really the reason that I that I went to Deadspin was the idea of doing this podcast with Julie. I've had a lot of respect for Julie over the years, for sure, and thought we could have some interesting conversations about stuff. And I, and I think that's what's happening. And I really do. You know, I, I, I miss Sarah Spain and Kate Fagan terribly. Um, and still, obviously, keep in touch with both of them very closely. But, um, but yeah, that was, you know, the trifecta doing that radio show on ESPN Radio with them for, I guess we did it for about four years. It was one of my career highlights for sure. So being able to kind of get behind the microphone again with Julie has been, or it has been a real gift. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you guys were sort of pioneering in that. You know, the interesting thing now is that if you three were, let's say you three were not affiliated with anyone. And obviously, uh, you know, Sarah has her ESPN contract and uh, Kate is now doing some stuff for SI and has a book coming out and you have your jobs. I think now you would actually be able to take you three and, you know, pitch like a podcast company and try to do it independently. Uh, now, you wouldn't have the distribution that ESPN does. Uh, it would take a while to obviously get some kind of audience. But that's sort of at least, you know, in 2020, that's the cool thing is you don't necessarily need a mega place like ESPN to actually do something like that now. Now, you, you know, you're helped by obviously their distribution and their marketing might. But that's kind of the cool thing of where we are is you, you know. Like the the future does exist where you could you could actually independently do something like that, find your own audience, and eventually, you know, build build a podcast brand. Yeah, well, absolutely. And there are so many great podcasts that are out there that are being done. I mean, I think of Burn It All Down and a lot of other great podcasts. I, I think Nancy Armour has a good one at, at USA Today. So there are a lot of good podcasts also that are kind of focused on women in sports now. When you're right, when we were doing the trifecta, we really were. I think the only game in town in a lot of ways uh, for that you know, particular sliver of the sports world. Yeah, per, yeah. With total respect to the Burn All Down podcast. I mean, they totally, they're totally independent. They did that from scratch. Uh, they're now at like uh, ten thousand followers on Twitter. I mean, that that's a really impressive uh, um, job by them. And they don't, you know, they're sort of unapologetic about what they cover, and they know that they're not going to get like, you know, a mass audience the way you would if you were just like breaking down like, you know, James Harden uh, being traded from the the Rockets or something like that. So good on them. All right, Jane McManus, let me give her resume one more time. Although, literally, I think I just forwarded the page that uh, that I had it on. All right, you're <laughs> the director. What is your what is your official title of Marist? Director of uh, All? Is that right? Just A-L-L? <laughs> I'm no. director of the... Director of the Marist Center for Sports Communication. Uh, yeah. She's a columnist at Deadspin, and she's now the co-host of the Ladies Room Podcast with 
Julie DeCaro. Find all her musings on um, on her Twitter page, uh, Jane Sports. And uh, Jane McMass, one of my favorite people in uh, in the world. Jane, thank you so much for coming on today and joining yeah, me on the Sports uh, Media Podcast. Thank you for working as cheaply as you as you are on this podcast. I appreciate that as well. <laughs> and uh, and happy holidays. Stay safe down there in the uh, the meth lab of the United States. <laughs> Yes, and you and you be careful of all the moose up there. Okay, they can be they can get angry and charge. I understand. Yeah, you, you know, you just give them some Tim Hortons. They're all right. Jay McManus, everyone. All right, back in the studio to wrap up. My thanks to Jimmy Trina and Jay McManus for their time and conversation. If you like these sorts of um, if you like these sorts of conversations and you like uh, this content. Head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archive page. See what um, we've done over the last couple weeks and months. The uh, podcast before this was uh, James Andrew Miller on the increasing number of ESPN departures. Prior to that, Trey Wingo gave a long interview about leaving ESPN. Uh, Speaking of uh, ESPN departures before that, had Ryan Rico of ESPN and the S Network and Lindsay Adler and Olivia Ritherite of uh, The Athletic talking about the impact of uh, Kim Ng becoming the first female general manager in baseball. And then prior to that, Hall of Fame basketball coach Muffet McGraw and soccer journalist Grant Wall. Uh, Check out all the podcasts. Um, Please leave us a a five-star review and some nice words. If you like it, that's how this podcast sticks around. Once again, as always, my thanks to Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry for all their help this year in uh, 2020 under pretty extraordinary circumstances. Thanks to Canes 13 uh, management, Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott. It's been a tough year for those guys to uh, pull off everything that the Cadence 13 has pulled off, but uh, uh, they've done it really, really impressively, and uh, and I appreciate uh, all the support they've given this podcast. If you're, uh, if you're still hearing uh, my words at this point, thank you. 2020 has been uh, an unprecedented and pretty awful year. If you're uh, still listening at this point, thank you for uh, for doing that. I think we'll have one more podcast in 2020, and then uh, we will finally get rid of this year. So for everybody at the Sports Media with Richard Judge podcast, thanks so much. We'll see you again soon. Take care.